0: It's August 1st, 2022. And this is the Watson Weekly, your essential e-commerce digest. Today on our show, early reviews of Amazon style store in Los Angeles are underwhelming. Can we talk about what's happening to Bed Bath & Beyond? UPS innovating through the downturn, maintaining margin and revenue targets. And Shopify's Q2 earnings calls shows warning signs for the company in 2022. And finally, the Investor Minute, which contains five items this week from the world of venture capital, acquisitions, and IPOs. But first, in our shopping cart full of news. Early reviews of Amazon's Style Store in Los Angeles are underwhelming. In the past, we've talked about some of the innovations coming in Amazon's Style Store, which recently opened in Los Angeles in the last month. Well, The Guardian has written an article about it, and some of my network have visited it, and the verdict so far is underwhelming. It's not that the technology isn't a neat idea, it's more that the styles featured in the store itself seem pretty basic, and it's not clear why a shopper would walk into the door to see them. It's almost like Amazon had this idea for a store to test some technology. We don't care if the store works, the real point of this is to sell this technology to other retailers. I don't know, what do you think? Maybe let's try to sell clothes. Okay, let's call it style. The fact that they put this in a ritzy Los Angeles neighborhood also gives you the idea that they wanted other clothing stores in the neighborhood to notice it, and perhaps their executives to wander in and wonder why they can't have this Amazon technology in their own stores. Crazier things have happened. If that's the case, this store could be successful if Amazon's technology is adopted by other retailers. If Amazon actually wants to start selling significant volumes of clothing, however, it might need to try harder. Our second story. Can we talk about what happened to Bed Bath & Beyond? If you've been listening to me for any length of time, you've seen me follow Bed Bath & Beyond i have never really had that much of an affection for the company or its recent strategy, even after former Target executive Mark Tritton took over. In the past month, the board has moved on from CEO Mark Trenton. It's against this backdrop that I wanted to analyze a recent article from the Wall Street Journal from Suzanne Kepner entitled, Bed, Bath & Beyond Executed a Proven Playbook and Lost. Real talk for a moment. First, when you get to be the CEO of a major corporation and you haven't been a CEO before, you pretty much already succeeded. Your next employer will look at the success or the failure that you have through their own eyes your next potential employer will say one of two things. Either, quote, this next person already made all the mistakes somewhere else, they won't repeat them here, or, quote, this person really turned things around. Either way, you're a winner. Think about that next time you take on a challenging role. There's a saying I've heard repeated often, you only fail up in Silicon Valley. And I think it's broadly true that I've found. The people out there taking risks are not afraid to fail, and that's why they do it. Second, The article says that Bed, Bath & Beyond was executed a, quote, winning playbook and lost. I really shake my head at this comment. I want to let you in on a little secret here. Are you listening? There is no such thing as a proven playbook for anything. If you're looking for a generic advice, open a fortune cookie. Let's say you have two different people baking the same cake from a master chef's recipe. Both are executing a, quote, proven playbook. But is the playbook the important thing? Unfortunately for these two chefs, ingredients matter. Equipment matters, technique matters, and sequence matters. Another thing that matters is knowing who your customer is and why they came to you. Which brings me to my next point. Bed Bath & Beyond never really knew why it existed anymore. The big players in the market have deep pockets and years of investment, which has set them up for a place where a certain set of strategies and tactics will work. If you're executing a playbook from another company, it is highly unlikely or near impossible that your company is set in the same situation as them. That's why you can't build a plan without assessing where things are. You can't build the same cake in a 75-degree room as you can in a 95-degree room. You probably shouldn't make the same, quote, proven cake if you don't know the dietary tastes of your guests or even if they want cake at all. Your proven playbook flies in the face of the obvious, why are we even here question. Finally, it was all doomed anyway. Look, Bed Bath & Beyond was declining. Ten years ago, a transformation may have even mattered. They missed that on-ramp. Once consumers move on, it is three times as hard to recover because you need to identify a new, profitable, underserved, growing segment of consumers that are not your existing customers, and you need to figure out how to serve them. And if it's going to be economical to acquire these customers, you better hope they're not being served well by alternatives to your approach. Unfortunately, that would not describe the bed and bath category where Walmart, Target, and Amazon are dominant, three of the best companies in retail. All this to say, pay attention to your context before you start building. Stop looking for the easy answers and winning playbook. Instead, clearly define who your customers are and then learn why they would come to you. I think the takeaway here is pretty straightforward. If it's about your playbook and not about why your customer wants something, then you're on the wrong path. Sue Cove, the new interim CEO, has not yet been made available for an interview, and the company seems to be looking for a new permanent CEO, which is fine, I guess. But whoever this new CEO ends up being, the company is already on the skids, and this could end up being a Toys R Us type situation, which incidentally is seeing something or a revival helped by Macy's. Whenever Sue Cove does make herself available for an interview, there's really only one thing I want to hear from her. Here's who our customer is and why we still matter as a brand. To be honest, i almost rather if she said the company didn't know and we're going back to the drawing board. That would be at least more honest. Our third story. UPS is innovating through the downturn, maintaining margin and revenue targets. Last week, I sat in on the UPS second quarter 2022 earnings call. First, let me get something off my chest. UPS has a strategy called Better Not Bigger which ostensibly means that it doesn't matter if Amazon is gonna ship more parcels than them, they want higher quality revenue. Overall, I think it's embarrassing and funny that better not bigger is a differentiated business strategy, but in so many ways, it already is. So kudos to UPS for charting their own path. Here are a few call outs from the call. They're maintaining their full year revenue and profit forecast, which is tough to do in this environment. They advise that the US second half GDP is forecasted to be about 1.4% growth according to analyst IHS. While average daily volume declined 4%, second quarter revenue was up 5.7% year over year. Profit was up 9.3% year over year. And margins were up 40 basis points. In the face of declining value, often you see margins shrink because supply chain is a utilization business. The fact that that's not the case is a great sign for UPS's execution. Half of average daily volume decline, or about 2% of it, was planned by UPS either formally or informally, and this was due to, quote, a few customers, and the majority of that volume was residential, they said. I took this to mean, Amazon continues to bring more and more last mile in-house. This is well-known on our part, and it's not good business anyway. They went on to say, by the end of the year, Amazon will be less than 11% of total UPS revenue. Cost savings was obviously a big topic in this environment, and there's about $300 million in cost savings targeted in the second half of 2022 by the company. In particular, a new major initiative called Total Service Plan to reduce wait times and improve driver and operator efficiencies. Carol Tomei, the UPS CEO, who clearly loves operational details, mentioned that a 10-minute improvement in service time across a network is worth $257 million. Readers of mine know how much I like Target. Carol Tomei at UPS has actually become my second favorite listen on earnings calls. She's another adult CEO in the industry with a specific differentiated plan that can articulate the cost gains they're seeking and the specific programs that will get them there. This is unfortunately very rare in corporate America. Another interesting tidbit I found was reference to UPS integrating with popular order management software in a test designed to improve parcel route density by consolidating more than one order on the same route. I've heard that this has languished as an internal project at UPS for many years, and it looks like they've decided to work with third parties instead to bring this to market. The benefits of this could be huge because this is where the orders start. It just makes too much sense not to work. My last bit of UPS. The funniest part of the interview by far for me was a body blow thrown at FedEx who just announced last week they were going to try and integrate their air and ground networks, despite the fact that they acquired RPS for their ground network in 1997. To quote Carol Tomei, we already have an integrated network. Our improvements were about running our network as it was designed. Ouch. And our last story, Shopify Q2 earnings call shows warning signs for the company in 2022. Shopify Q2 earnings call shows a few positives, but it also reveals tremendous challenges in a management team in unfamiliar territory. Let's start with the positives before I jump in. Off Shopify GMV growth was 47% and impressive, and frankly, a lifeline. Their POS is nothing to write home about, but it's fine. And without it, I'm sure you'd be seeing even more layoffs. Shopify's e-commerce GMV is also growing faster than the industry, and their revenue grew 16% year over year. So there needs to be some perspective, and that's great. However, their recent note about their 10% layoffs and their subsequent explanation of the failures that led to it, I find extremely lacking. Of course, many large companies have been caught in a whipsaw the past few years. Peloton with supply chain and people, Amazon overbuilt their fulfillment network, Target and Walmart have too much inventory, and now Shopify. I came out of the call and reading earnings with a few thoughts and comments. First, 10% cuts will not be enough. I actually predict they'll need to get to 20 to 25%. The fact that you would actually not cut more would be a big strategic mistake on Shopify's part because you actually want to cut once and deeper rather than doing a bunch of little cuts. Why do I say this? Well, first of all, I have unfortunately a lot of deep experience in dealing with layoffs. I have been laid off before personally. I've been in the sad position of having to plan layoffs before also more than once And I've been at companies where there are many rounds of layoffs and I was not affected. Let's look at the facts and see if it means there were more layoffs likely to come. Shopify lost money in Q2. Let's just let that sink in for a moment. Even in these operating losses, the new acquisition Deliver was not included because it hasn't yet closed. Now just remember that Deliver is a dilutive acquisition, which means that it's an unprofitable business on an earnings per share basis. That means Q3 will be a doozy. As a result, they've announced that they will lose a lot more in Q3 because most of the layoff expenses will be included there as well. They've also announced that their Q4 loss is expected to be greater than their current Q2 loss, but less than the expected Q3 loss. The economy is also not in a great situation. Inflation is not going to stop on a dime, except perhaps the housing market, regardless of what the Fed does, because it's the price of labor and materials that are increasing. How does increasing the U.S. interest rate reduce the prices that a foreign supplier is passing along to you? Why is this relevant? Recent economic data from Guggenheim and others indicates that discretionary spending is being squeezed by inflation. Non-discretionary spending is more or less unaffected in its current levels. It's just that consumers' dollars are not going as far. What that does, obviously, is put more pressure on purchases you can defer, or so-called non-discretionary spending. I would argue that the majority of Shopify merchants are discretionary spending. Just take a look for five seconds at the Shopify homepage if you don't believe me. There are also still global macro headwinds out there in supply chain, including Russia and China. I believe that the global supply chain issues are not temporary, and there is a cyclical shift happening that will tend to deglobalize the world in some ways over the next 10 years. Kind of the yang to the ying that Thomas Friedman wrote about years ago in The World is Flat. Well, the world is starting to become hilly and less flat. Shopify CEO Toby Luka was asked directly why you did the layoff. And he answered directly, it was not a financial decision, which is kind of a nonsense answer, but it just makes my point for me. Do you actually think that the company who self-admitted this layoff was not a financial decision cut exactly the right number? I think there's likely another 10 to 15% layoffs coming in the next six months for Shopify. And I've already heard reports that even before last week, Shopify was slowly cutting staff under the radar. But let's get to the broader point here. Shopify is entering choppy waters and its management team is not extremely experienced. CEO Toby Lutka is a self-admittedly not a corporate manager. President Harvey Finkelstein is essentially in public relations as far as I can tell. Who is making the hard priority calls that will be necessary to steer Shopify's ship through these choppy waters? Long time Shopify watchers know that Toby has openly mused about moving on when he feels like he's not the right person for the job. I feel that the time may have come for Toby to move on from a CEO post, or at the very least, I would not be surprised to see a succession planning discussion starting at Shopify this year in the C suite. It's that time, friends, for our Investor Minute. We have five items on the menu today. First, Emerald Holding acquired online wholesale marketplace Bulletin. Bulletin is a wholesale marketplace connecting retailers and brands, and Emerald is the organizer of a traditional New York-based retail wholesale marketplace for retailers. Essentially, every old-school wholesale supplier conference will need software in the future, I think. Second, Accenture to acquire agency The Stable to bolster its e-commerce transformation expertise in North America. This marks the second acquisition in a row for Zayner and BVA And they've been absorbed into one of the largest agencies, Accenture. Some of my network feels that the cost of talent could have something to do with the timing of this acquisition. The existing owners perhaps did not want to chase the talent rise upward and decided now was a good time to get off the ride. It's not uncommon at all for agencies to keep getting acquired until they reach the largest agency size. Third, AI inventory prediction software, Syrup Tech, raises $6.3 million from Google's AI fund. The main goal of the company is to help brands understand how much inventory they should have in all the various sizes and colors of their apparel stock, which is a very tough prediction to make. Fourth, Hyvory raises a $30 million Series B round to automatically optimize product placement on store shelves. This is another optimization startup, this one in growth mode. I like this idea as it has a huge industry with a complex problem to solve that is not as data-driven as it could be. And finally, Customer reviews provided for Shopify merchants, Okendo, has raised $26 million in Series A funding. The company collects, displays, and pushes customer reviews across your e-commerce storefront like Shopify and other channels like Google and Facebook. I've been hearing a lot more about Okendo from those in my network because of its affordable price. Okendo competes with some of the solutions available from companies like Yotpo and Reviews.io. That's all for this week. Till next time, Watsonians. Hi, I'm Rick Watson, CEO and founder of RMW Commerce Consulting and host of the Watson Weekly podcast, your essential e-commerce digest. Our production partner for the series is Citizen Race Car. The show is produced by Alex Brower, production manager, Gabriella Montequin. To hear new episodes of the show every Monday morning, subscribe now at rmwcommerce.com slash Watson Weekly and wherever you get your podcasts.